Waiting for confirmation. All right, we're live. Okay, first thing I want to say is you're uh, clicking on or watching the live stream here. Um, this is not a sensationalist video. This video is not to attack anybody or uh, basically I'm not here to be a jerk. Um, no, not at all. In fact, what I am is I'm a pastor who cares very deeply uh, about understanding the Bible properly, about reading it in its context and knowing what it really says because I do believe that God has inspired the scriptures. And so I spend my days, I spend my days and nights and nights actually studying theology and apologetics. I make these free videos online for you guys, just that it would bless you, meet you where you are when you need it. Um, that's what I do with all my time. I do this, put up free content for you. Um, I care sincerely about people though, about believers who I think are being led astray by some of the bad Bible study practices that I see inside the uh, flat earth stuff. So it's, it's, it's a big concern of mine. Well, I love you, my brothers and sisters, my flat earth friends. And I do even have friends who've been brought into this whole flat earth thing and they think it's biblical. But what I'm telling you is not that you're wrong about the earth. That's a different video. I'm telling you you're wrong about the Bible. That's what this video is about. You're wrong about the Bible. So welcome to um, to the uh, Tuesday live stream. I'm Pastor Mike Winger, where we learn how to think biblically about everything. And today we're taking your flat earth Bible verses and we're looking at them in context, which I think is all it takes to show you that they're not saying what you think they're saying. And we're going to uh, get into this. But first, I want to lay the ground rules. So here's the ground rules. Um, and yes, you can put questions in the chat, but I can already tell you, I will not be able to get to all your questions. I'll answer some questions from the live chat at the end of the stream. You put a capital Q and you can ask some questions. AJ will grab a smattering of them and I'll answer a bunch, okay? And I will prefer questions from flat earth uh, leaning or believers or people who are just at least in that kind of camp, thinking about that camp. Those are the questions I'm hopefully gonna get and I'm hopefully, hope, hoping to answer them uh, you know, whatever I might miss during this stream. But here's here's the ground rules though. Here's the ground rules. I This video is not about conspiracies. I'm not going to talk about conspiracies or what, you know, end times issues and things like that. It's not about that. This video is not about ge geocentrism or the idea that the sun goes around the earth, not the earth around the sun. That is a unrelated issue because you can have a globe earth with geocentrism, a flat earth with geocentrism. It's, it's unrelated. It's an unrelated issue to the flat earth. This is not about the firmament. The, I'm going to one day, God willing, I'll do a whole video on the firmament. That's a whole nother long video and tons of research to do. But this is not about the firmament because guess what? You can have a solid dome firmament that doesn't give you a flat earth. There's nothing about that that says there's a flat earth. No, this is the question of is the earth flat according to biblical verses, according to teachings in the Bible? That's the question. I'm not going to talk about ancient Near Eastern thought at the time of the ancient Hebrews. Why? Because just because whatever people thought back then, whether they believed it or didn't believe it, it's irrelevant, irrelevant to whether or not the Bible actually teaches a flat earth. You could affirm that they thought it, but the Bible doesn't teach it. We're dealing with the question of what the Bible actually teaches, what it proclaims. That's the question. All right, here we go. Now you know the ground rules. Now you know what we're doing. Let's dig in. Uh, let's first talk about the end of the earth verses. There's a bunch of verses people use for flat earth and I've kind of categorized them, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the first verses that I've had sent to me when people said, Mike, the Bible says the earth is flat is these end of the earth verses. The Bible does talk about how the earth has ends or it talks about the ends of the earth. So here we are. Um, I'm currently in the ESV, but you can look all these up in the King James Version if that's your leaning as well. You're not gonna find significant differences, I don't think. Uh, Job 28, 24 is the first verse we'll go to. It says, 
for he looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. Okay, so clearly, I'm, I'm not disputing this, right? The Bible definitely says that the earth has ends, or at least it uses the phrase, the ends of the earth. That's what it talks about here. That's for sure. Uh, now, in flat earth view, this is the ends of the earth. The earth itself, in case for those who don't know, the, the perspective of a flat earth is that there is these edges on the on the ends of the earth. Like you could, you go there and that you can't go any further. The earth just stops right there. Uh, now there's, uh, what you probably don't realize if you look at it from above is they're not thinking that the earth is flat and we have like the North pole on one side, the South pole on the other. In fact, with the flat earth view, what they generally do is they, they imagine if you sort of grabbed the globe and you took the South pole and you just stretched that open and you flattened out the earth. And so you have, you can see in this, you have North and South America, you have Africa, you've got the, the North Pole in the middle of the map, and the South Pole is now stretched out all around the entire map. That would be the current uh, view of the flat Earth, the one that I always see promoted. So they think that the sun and the moon are small, and that these people who promote this view, that they're sort of going around the Earth. This is a crude example of it. There's more complicated versions of this, but basically the sun and the moon are, you know, they're, they're close to the Earth, they're small, and they're sort of circling like this. They're not actually going around the entire mass of the earth. They're just, um, you know, doing a circuit like that. Um, that would be the flat earth view. And you could, you could see how it's supported in a sense from Job twenty-eight twenty-four. But let me take you to another passage that'll give us a hint on how we should understand verses like this, Job twenty-eight twenty-four, and how the phrase ends of the earth doesn't mean that the earth has ends. The ends of the earth doesn't mean the earth has ends. Why? Well, Let's look at the text itself. Let's let scripture guide us. Psalm chapter, let's see, chapter 67, verse 7, which says, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now, this is a um, uh, an interesting verse. It gives us a hint at the difference here because what's happening in Psalm 67, 7 is they're thinking that the ends of the earth are going to fear the Lord. Like there's people there wherever the ends of the earth is, and they're going to fear God. They should respond to God. Yet, as far as I know, on all flat earth models, there ain't no people there. Right? These are uninhabited lands or uninhabited ice. It's a giant ice wall and you can't get there. That's, that's the idea. And so already we've got a problem because here the text of scripture seems to indicate that there is people there. But it gets way more clear than this if we read on. I mean, after I show you these verses, you will realize you cannot say the ends of the earth is talking about physical edges on what we would think of as a, the planet Earth. Absolutely not. It's impossible to do. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. It says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Here's the ends of the earth again. Turn to me and be saved, God says, to the ends of the earth. I mean, this is just talking about distant people. Distant people who are, who are outside the land of Israel. They're called the ends of the earth. And God says, I want you all to, I want you all to know the gospel and be saved. That's, that's the message here. That everyone, you know, can be saved. That's a beautiful message. But no, it gets more clear than that. It's more clear than that. Because now what you need, if you're a flat earther, you have to adopt this into your view. If you're, if you're a biblical flat earther and say, there's edges of the earth, but there's people that live there and we're supposed to bring the gospel to them. And now you need to change your mission statement to bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, not just proving that there's ends to the earth. Um, but there's more. So let's go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And this cannot be... I think this is the irrefutable part. <laughs> you saw my thumbnail or my, or my, my, my title for the video, the irrefutable evidence. Well, I, I believe this is irrefutable. Deuteronomy 28, 49. It says, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. 
from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, right? A nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation, and it will go on and talk about all the things this nation will do to you. In Deuteronomy, this is, this is the threats and the curses and the blessings and all this sort of thing that happens with the law. God gives them the law through Moses. And this is why you need to know the context of scripture, right? He gives them the law through Moses and he says, look, if you don't obey this law, I'm going to bring nations from the ends of the earth and they're going to come and swoop down on you and they're going to take you away and carry you away. Now, this actually did happen. Now, those of you who know your, know your Bible, you know when this happened, right? This happened especially in particular, this is what the Bible highlights a lot, is when Babylon came in, and Assyria came in, and these two particular nations came in, one taking away the northern kingdom, the other the southern kingdom, that these are the nations from the ends of the earth. So biblically, the ends of the earth is Babylon. Now, it gets stronger than this. I can make it stronger. Okay, let's let's move on. Uh, let's just look at the, another verse in the same chapter, Deuteronomy 28, 64. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve um, uh, gods of wood and stone, da, 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 which you and your fathers haven't known. In other words, what, God, what Deuteronomy is saying is that there's going to be people who are on the ends of the earth. They're going to come to Israel, take you, take you to the ends of the earth. And then he promises later that he'll gather them back from the ends of the earth. So if you're a flat earther and you think into the earth is the edges of your flat earth map, you have to figure out how to, in your history, how to get it so that Israel was hijacked by nations living on the ice wall around the edge, the edge of the earth brought to that ice wall and then brought back, even though the Bible makes it clear this was just Babylon. This was just Babylon. Um, where do we see this in scripture? We actually see this same uh, area, this same context, content quoted in scripture to show its fulfillment is in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 8. Nehemiah 1 8, Nehemiah is praying because they've been taken captive, right, into foreign nations. And here he is, he's in Susa, well, let me just show you where he is, right? And we get this in verse 1. He says, um, It happened in the month of Chislev in the 20, 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel. This is where he's located. He's in Susa and he's there with Jews, you know, who escaped and survived the exile. Um, anyway, the, he's talking about the Jews that had escaped and survived the exile. So this is during the exile. This is during the fulfillment of that Deuteronomy passage. And here in verse 8, he says in prayer to God, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you, and this is, I got to highlight just this one part, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather and bring them to the place that I have chosen. Now, in a flat earth view, the uttermost parts of heaven would have to be either there like in like some spatial domain um, but that doesn't fit the t- context here because God's gathering them. And so they have to be at that edge where sort of they, they see the, the, the dome above us meeting the ice wall, right? That's where those outcasts have to be. And God says, I will gather them. But Nehemiah is asking to be brought in from where? From Susa. Where's Susa? Susa is about 1,035 miles from Jerusalem. Here's, this is Google Maps. My head is in Africa right now. <laughs> my, my brain is in the giant brain looking thing of Africa. Um, and uh, it makes me feel smarter. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is, it's in Iran. Seuss is in Iran. The fulfillment of this text, the ends of the earth and the uttermost parts of heaven is Iran. This is just uh, over a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. So yeah, there is simply no way on earth that these passages can be taken to mean that the earth has edges. Why is it though? Why is this? Well, we'll come back to that in just a second. Let me, let me take you to a passage from Jesus because... Um, it does weigh in on this. Now that you know this, that ends of the earth is a phrase meaning nations f- 
far from the perspective of Israel, that it's a phrase that doesn't, isn't to be taken literally, right? Then you can see what is being said here. Jesus says, then he will send out the angels. Oh, let me give it to you on the screen as well. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So he's just saying he's going to gather them from everywhere. It's not saying that earth has edges. Um, that's not the point at all. That's just to misunderstand the text. Uh, reading cosmology or, you know, onto, onto a text that's just about like uh, local geography. <laughs> you know? So that's the idea. Um, so, yeah, let me, um, let me offer one more note um, on the, um, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to my notifications on my phone here only because I've recently had issues with the live stream where I like, had a microphone muted and I just want to make sure I don't miss that. Um, okay, so on, on the view, on the flat earth view, if you're with me here, so you're still flat earth, just hear me out, okay? You don't need to change your mind so far. Just listen to me. I'm just doing a Bible study with you. Um, on their view, the sun doesn't actually go to the edge of the earth because the ends of the earth are those edges. The sun sort of circles around like a third a third of the way into the earth. It just circles around there. That would be sort of the idea, right? But the biblical teaching is that the sun seems to, at least from our perspective, go around us, not, you know, not do that kind of flat earth circuit. And so Psalm 19.6 seems to indicate this. It says, It's rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of the, to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So it's it's rising, at least from our perspective, I think this is phenomenal, phenomenological language, or this is just how it appears to humans. You're not trying to describe the uh, scientific exactness of the functions of the universe. But it's described as, as coming up from that location way on the edge. But the, on the flat earth models, the sun never is way over there, right? On the flat earth models, the sun never touches the edge of the earth. It doesn't work. This is not a biblical model. It's not giving respect to the, to the scriptures. It's just not. Let's talk about the word earth though, because before we go further, this is the thing you need to know. And this, honestly, a lot of the flat earth verses would just melt away if people knew this one fact. Are you ready? I have to drink my, I have to drink my coffee first. And I'll show you the cat cam. There you go. Oh, let me get my head out of the way there. Oh, there's the cat cam. There's the cat cam. This is how you know you have professional grade Bible study quality right here. Full strength. All right, here's what you need to know. The word earth doesn't mean earth in the Bible. It rarely means earth. I mean, very rarely means earth. There are some places where it does, where like, I'll take you, I'll take you there. Genesis chapter one, verse one. I think, hold on, I did that wrong. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. I think that this is a text where the word earth is a, is, is a reference to um, like the whole, whether it's globe or flat or whatever you think, it's a reference to the whole thing, to the whole thing, right? Inclusively. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But one of the ways in which we know it's a, 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 an inclusive phrase is because it's just that, that, phrase, that phrase, the heavens and the earth. It's not the word earth, it's the phrase, the heavens and the earth. And then it's like, okay, this is an inclusive term for the whole universe, ultimately. But then very shortly after that, we have examples, even in Genesis, of where the word earth doesn't mean what you're thinking. Because you're thinking of either, either the whole flat earth or a globe. That's how we usually use the word. But that's not what eretz, right, the Hebrew word means most of the time. Here's an example. In verse 10, God called the dry land earth. Wait a minute, the dry land is earth? It's just dry land? So if it's below sea level, it's not earth? Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the meanings of Eretz. If it's below sea level, it's not Eretz, at least in this context. And this is how it's used all the time. I mean, way more often than you see it used to describe the entirety of what we would think of as either a planet or a, or a, a flat um, uh, 
domed thing. So the dry land is earth. This happens frequently. Other times, um, also in Genesis. I, I, wanted, I wanted to show you a few examples in Genesis in particular. So you realize, like, even in the first book of the Bible, there's multiple uses of the, ter- the term earth. In Genesis 11, verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. The whole earth, wait, now the planet talks or whatever? No. Um, no, the whole earth here refers to people. It's just, it's all a bunch of people, all the people on, on you know, that God made. That's the idea. So whole earth, sometimes Eretz is just referring to individuals. It has nothing to do with physical ground at all. In this case is one of those. Another one, Genesis 13, verse 6. It's the same Hebrew word, Eretz, same Hebrew word. But it's translated differently and you'll understand why right away. So that the land, that's Eretz, could not support both of them um, uh, dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Who is this about? This is talking, as it says, the land Eretz. If you were to translate this like and say, well, Eretz is Eretz, Earth is Earth. Well, then this would be literally saying the planet Earth could not support Lot and Abraham together. So they had to like depart from the land so what did in other words the solution would be lot you go to you go to one planet and i'll go to another planet like that would be the solution here Uh, but no obviously eretz just means local area a local area of land and it's used like this all the time so the ends of the earth could simply mean far away from our local area that's just what the word earth means sometimes let me give you and this is too long for you to read i know that right this is the, uh, the the Dictionary of Biblical Languages, the DBL, abbreviate, we abbreviate as that. And it's this is literally what you're looking on your screen at, is just the one entry on the word Eretz, or Earth, to show you that it has a large number of uses, and it shows you its different uses in different contexts. Sometimes it means dry surface in contrast to water. Sometimes it means soil or dirt or a country or a region or a territory or a people. Rarely, it does mean Earth in the modern sense. That does happen, but it's rare. Okay, that's, and you could, maybe you could read that. I don't know. Most of you probably can't read that. I just wanted you to know this, um, words are more complex in their usage and their meanings than simply like earth means earth. Um, there's more to it than that. And context shows us there's more to it than that. Let's look now at a video clip. This video clip is from Dean Odell. He's a popular flat earth guy. He has a video called the Bible does say flat earth. The Bible does say flat earth. I've linked it in the video description. I always try to link videos, even if I disagree with them when I'm, cause it, I owe it to you to make give you access to the content I'm saying I disagree with. Um, I only wish other people would have that same policy <laughs> as they refute my videos all day long. Um, so here it is. This is from Dean Odell. And he's going to draw from the idea that the, the book of Job is describing the nature of earth. And look at his conclusions and then we'll talk about what is, um, what is wrong about that. In the, in the King James, it says it is turned... As clay to the seal, uh, and they stand out as a garment. Now, I have read over that many times, and that's a problem. A lot of times we just read over stuff, and we don't look it up. So uh, I saw this verse pointed out by someone, so I got my my uh, Strong's Hebrew you know, concordance with the Hebrew dictionary, mm-hmm. and I looked up the word turned. It doesn't mean to spin. It means it's changed. I tell people that it means it's changed like I would change, uh, you know, I would change potatoes into mashed potatoes. It's, you change them into something else. And then it says where it says it's turned or it's changed as clay to the seal. The Hebrew word there for seal means signet ring. And so what would happen was in the old days that the kings or governors or leaders would have this special ring that identified them. And what they would do, they would seal letters 
uh, or scrolls, they would drop some wax or some clay on top of them, and then they would press them down flat with that signet ring. So when God was talking about the earth and how he formed it, the picture, the word picture he gives in Hebrew is that it was changed as clay to the signet ring, plastic, pushed down flat. And when that happens, too, it causes an upturned edge. It causes a border around it. And you look at any seal, there's going to be a border around that pressed down, um, you know, piece of wax or clay or whatever it is. Okay, so what you guys can see here is uh, they're saying, hey, this is this this passage in Job when it describes clay and a signet ring, it's describing the um, the cosmological design of the earth. That's the whole point. That's the whole point here, right? That's what he's getting at. And so he quotes Job thirty eight fourteen. I don't know if you noticed this. This is a misquote. They they misquoted Job thirty eight here. He quoted it correctly earlier, and then he misquotes it in this clip from the video. There's a word missing. There is a word missing, a very important word missing from this quote for some reason in their video. I don't know if it was deliberate. I don't think so, but it's it's missing. Um, so he says, hey, it's like a signet. Okay, here's actually a piece of clay that a signet was pushed against from ancient Israel, right? This is kind of an important one, a recent discovery that's pretty important about verifying kings of Israel because we have good uh, evidence to support the, the, real, the reality that there were these ancient kings of Israel. Um, at any rate, that's the seal. Um, and so I get it, but there's a problem. Almost no translations translate this as signet ring. Um, he says that should be translated as signet ring, right? It's just, a, he says, it's really a signet ring. Um, no, um, it's really not to be translated that way. And that's why almost nobody does translate it that way. So here's the same resource I used earlier, Dictionary of Biblical Languages. And here's what they say under the word seal, seal, right? It's, you could look it up yourself. It's 2597. That's the, 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 um, uh, the entry point, it's the um, Strong's number 2368 if you want to look up Strong's. Um, Strong's, though, is not a great resource. I'll talk about that in a minute. It's not bad. It's just not nearly as great as people think it is. Um, at any rate, it's a seal, signet, uh, implemented, used, an implement used as a sign of one's personal official identification marked by impressing in clay or wax, worn on a cord around the neck or on the hand. Okay, seal or signet. Now, you might not notice this. Seal and signet are not the same thing, right? So look at the note, and I highlighted this. The note at the end, it says, Note, it's usually a cylinder seal design, though if on the hand, then a signet ring. So if it talks about a seal on the hand, it's a signet ring. Otherwise, it's likely it's a cylinder design. What is a cylinder design? Well, it's one of these. Ancient seals, we have lots and lots of them that we found. They're these tiny little things, and they would probably fit. If you have a big hand, you could probably put the seal in your fist and hide it. It's that small. Um, so this this seal, which is on the left part of your screen, it's a cylinder. What's on the right part of your screen is, is clay. And what they would do is they'd take the seal and they'd roll it over the clay, and then it would take different shape. That's what the verse is talking about in, in, uh, in the book of Job. Here's another example of a cylinder seal. This one's green, but you can just see how like the intricate little, they do a reverse image in the seal and then they just roll it over. And this is, this was very typical. Here's another example. There's another example for you there. Now to support his case, um, there's something fishy going on because to support his case, Dean Odell, what he does is he says, I went to Strong's and Strong's tells me this is a signet ring. And he tries to use Strong's, which is a, uh, a Greek and Hebrew resource that we have. I got one here, All right? This is... Strong's. This is everybody's first Greek and Hebrew resource, right? And it's it's big fat book, and you can look up the numbers and all that. I've got it here. I have a ver- two different versions. I have um, as well digitally. Um, 
But he says that he goes to Strong's and it says Signet Ring. Okay, that would make it the ring version, not the bracelet or the or the cylinder version I showed you. But when you actually look up Strong's, what does it say? This is Strong's. Okay, this is on the screen for you. It says that it's um, it occurs 14 times and the AV, the authorized version, King James, translates it as Signet nine times and Seal five times. And then it gives you the definitions. Seal, Signet, Signet Ring. Strong's doesn't tell you what it is in Job. It just says it has these different translations and it has different ways of you know being rendered in the english signet or signet ring or seal strong's doesn't say what dean odell wants it to say i don't know why he's saying it does i don't i don't understand this look it up on your own go ahead uh, strong's doesn't say that now there might be an old version of strong's that i've never seen that has an errors in it because they up they've updated it over the years it's pretty old so maybe they fixed an error there in which case he needs to get a new version um, that's always a possibility uh, but there's there's more problems. That was just the first problem, okay? It's 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 probably a cylindrical seal that Job is talking about in Job 38. The second problem is the missing word. Okay, I'm going to put this on the screen again for you. Job 38, 14, this is what Dean Odell puts up there. This is what probably um, Flat Earth people have seen. This, this video has had a lot of views, hundreds of thousands of views. The video I'm talking about here, the Dean Odell one. Um, but if I go to Job 38, 14, do you notice the word that's missing? Let me see. I'll go to you in uh, just directly in the Bible here. This is the ESV, which is not going to be much different than most other versions here. It is changed like clay under the seal. It is changed. It's the word changed. Okay, the word change is really important here. It's really important here because we need to know when it's changed, right? This change is not like the earth was originally a blob and God, when he created it, did that. No, no, no. The context to Job, and now we will zoom out and look at two more verses to get context. We'll see it has nothing to do with the, you know, physical cosmology of earth. It says here in verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it, that would be the dawn, the morning might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It here being the earth, right, is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. It's describing sunrise, right? Just like these these pictures of, um, let me put one up for you again, of these cylinders, how the light and the shadows on the clay, they now show contours. Whereas before it was a flat piece of clay that had no contours, now it has contours. The idea is that as the sun rises, that the earth gains contours and all of a sudden it's more... Uh, has has depth at nighttime it's just you can't see you can't see all the bumps and everything on the ground it's too dark as the sun comes up all the contours come up and and especially in the morning these strong stark shadows get cast all over the land that's all it's saying is in, this change happens every day but dean wants to use it and some flat earth people think they can use it to say that the earth has a a, a bumpy ridge around it like a clay signet ring uh, like clay has when it has a signet ring pushed down on it but that's not the point at all in fact it's just specifically about the wicked right right it's it this this sunlight that comes up every morning it grabs uh, hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked are shaken out of it this is picture right we don't think the sun grabs the earth but it's the wicked are shaken out this is because and let me take you to, to a, a parallel passage this passage does relate to it um here we go job 24 Verse 14, this explains that context of the wicked being shaken out. Why does the morning shake out the wicked? 
Well, because even in the book of Job, same book, it says the murderer rises before its light that he may kill the poor and needy. And in the night, he's like a thief, right? The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight saying, no, I will see. And he veils his face in the dark. They dig through houses by day. They shut themselves up. They do not know the light. So the whole idea here, oh, I, I meant to give you that. Boom. There it is. All right. See the murder. He rises before it's light that he may kill the poor and needy in the night. He's like a thief. The adulterer waits for twilight. It's all about it being dark in the dark. They dig through houses, but then when the daylight comes, they shut themselves up. So they hide because they don't know the light. Um, and this is what Job's talking about. The, the, the sun comes up, right? The contours of the earth are made visible every single morning and the wicked get shaken out or they go and hide because they're not going to do their wicked things there in the morning time when everybody can see them. That's all Job is saying. Job is not giving us cosmology of the earth here. It's just not related at all. So everything about this, this great discovery that he feels the Holy Spirit led him to is wrong. Everything about it's wrong from his use of strongs, from uh, his, uh, his application to, of, of this to cosmology. And you don't need, you didn't need to read ancient Greek or Hebrew in this case to know all you had to do is read the context. This is a daily change uh, when the sun rises. Um, so let me, let me give you guys a quick announcement before we go to the footstool passages. We're going to do the footstool verses next, but before we get there, here's my quick announcement. Um, we are going to be doing in just over a month, a uh, month and a half, I guess, um, a apologetics conference. And this apologetics conference is going to involve a lot of the guys you know on YouTube. Uh, David Wood, Inspiring Philosophy, The Woman at Apologist, uh, um, my buddy John McRae from What Do You Meme. Uh, I'll be there, and I think several others will be there. I don't remember the full list off the top of my head here. It's going to be in Chicago, Illinois, April 24th and 25th, and it's only 40 bucks to attend. It's like a Friday night, Saturday conference. And uh, check it out. Go to apologeticon.com. This is the first official announcement. The website went live just like a couple hours ago. So apologeticon.com. You can check it out if you're interested. And um, I'd love to see you there. I'd love to, to meet you, shake your hand, and, um, and we're just seeking to stir people up, bless the body, and grow in our knowledge of the truth of Christ and our ability to defend it thoughtfully. All right, let's look at the next one, the footstool verses, footstool verses. I'll be honest with you. When I first heard about flat earth stuff, it was these footstool verses that first jumped into my mind as, oh no, they're not, they're not doing that, are they? <laughs> that, was, that was what occurred to me. So um, please hear me out. Isaiah 66, one, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. There you go. Like God's obviously intending, okay, I'm not trying to make anybody feel comfortable here, but it feels weird to me to think upon reading this verse that God's obviously intending to give us a physical, literal, cosmological descriptor, scientifically accurate description of what the earth looks like if you could zoom out from it and look at it from a distance. Um, and no, um, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. Let me show you though what some people have done with this. I have a picture for you. This is the, um, there it is. This is the footstool image that I've seen presented by flat earthers saying, look, the earth is this footstool. And so footstools are round and they're on pillars. We'll talk about the pillars in a minute, but notice the pillars that are there. That's important. Uh, we'll talk about that. So the, this is this is the case. Now let's just look at the verse in context a little bit. I mean, just the verse by itself. The context of the surrounding words around footstool. It says, "The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool." Does anybody in the flatters community think that heaven is literally 
shaped like a throne. But they, that many of them, at least some of them in the community, say that the earth has to be shaped like a footstool because of this verse. But you don't take heaven is my throne literal, but you take the earth is my footstool literal. That doesn't really make sense. Um, I mean, and if it's a literal footstool, then doesn't that mean that God has like literal feet that he puts on it? I mean, that would be a, a heresy. This isn't even Christian theology anymore we're doing. And imagine this, how big are God's hands? If I'm going to read the Bible like this, which this is, this is not the way you want to read it. But if you're going to read the Bible like this, Isaiah 40, verse 12, it says that God has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span. A span is one hand distance, right? From here to here, here to here, that's my span. It's saying that God's marked off the heavens with a span. However big the heavens are, literally, that is exactly how big God's hand is. Or that's not what Isaiah is trying to say, which is the reality of it. No, not at all. This is metaphorical, and this is in the same book. The earth is his footstool, and he's measured the, the waters in the hall of his hand, the heaven is his throne. It's about God being sovereign. It's not about the shape of the earth. It's metaphorical. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. Uh, here's another verse that relates. First Kings chapter 8, verse 27. He says, But God will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built you? This is, this is just to say that like there is no comparison to the grandeur and the fullness of God and that of creation. That There's just no comparison, right? It's, it's not like he's, heaven is a throne that God sits on in, in one verse. In another verse, his hand is the, the length of the, the width of the throne. <laughs> so he's sitting on the throne, but he has a giant hand. Um, it just, it doesn't make any sense, guys. It's, it's silly because it's never meant to be read that way. Not by the original authors, not by the original audience, and not by you. Let's talk about the pillar verses, pillars of the earth. This is another uh, one of those uh, topics that comes up. Probably one of the biggest ones is 1 Samuel 2.8, where it says, He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Um, what is this talking about? Uh, the flat earth point would be that there's a spherical earth um, that, or the, the, excuse me, that the spherical earth doesn't seem to have pillars, right? Like, and I would agree. I, I would be like, it's it's a stretch to think that a globe has actual pillars somehow. You could say there's pillars in the dirt or there's these like, these like powerfully huge rock formations down towards the mantle or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I get that that would be a stretch to think that, but they would take these very literally. There's actually pillars holding up and what are the pillars on? Foundations. What the foundations on? Who knows? Um, but what is what is it actually saying? It's it's actually an analogy. As you read the context here, um, it's an analogy to what happens early in the verse. God's raising up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. So now the poor are inheriting a seat of honor. They are they are um, getting leadership positions in the world. And then it says, "For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world." The idea here is that the pillars are the leading human beings in the world and God will exalt whoever he wants, including the poor, to rule in those places. And King David is an example of this. King David is an example of this where he can take this guy out of nowhere and then make him the king of Israel and make his line the ultimate, uh, that which leads to the Messiah. That's what I think this verse is talking about. But there's other pillar verses as well. It's Job 26.10. 
which says, um, I'll quote it to you here. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. So there's that pillars of heaven phrase, pillars of heaven. I, uh, and I know that this is going to trigger some of the people in the audience. But if you have been around for my Bible studies, which I have hundreds of hours of free Bible studies online that you're welcome to enjoy or hate as you, as you wish. Um, but if you know, I read things in context. I try to understand the context. If it's a poetic passage, I want to look at it poetically. Well, guess what? Job is a poetic book. The whole book is poetry. Like literally the whole book, especially the speeches, especially the speeches, which is where we're at here in Job 26. Um, it's very poetic. The whole thing's extremely poetic. And I think that we're going to see that as we read more of Job uh, real soon here when we get to um, the uh, the cornerstone verse that they like to use. So the pillars of heaven, it just seems to be poetic. It might just be talking about mountains. Pillars of heaven could just be talking about mountains. They come up and there's the sky above them, but they're like the the part of the earth that's lifting up the highest. That could simply be all it's talking about here. Pillars of heaven. It's not to be, take, not to be uh, taken as though those things, mountains are actually holding up the sky. That would be a wooden literalism forced upon a poetic passage that probably is just talking about mountains. In fact, pillars occurs very, very few times in the scripture. The word pillar, when it talks about pillars of the earth or pillars of the heavens. And it seems that every single time that I can find, it's always in a poetic context, like a very poetic context. So we should treat it as poetry. If it's in that poetic context, that's important. That's just called good Bible study. Let's look at another verse. Um, what did I skip? Do I want to do that verse? Yeah, um, Psalm 75, 3 is another example. Same pillars one. I'll just mention it in case it's on your mind really briefly. And I'll give you a clue on how you can figure it out on your own. Psalm 75, 3. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Um, if you read the whole Psalm, Psalm 75, like for Samuel, it's speaking of leaders. It's speaking of leaders, leadership. The pillars are here, the leaders that God is going to, um, he's going to stand behind. He's going to hold them up while they're going through a lot of turmoil, uh, while the earth is in upheaval, so to speak. So the earth here is groups of people and the pillars are the individuals who are leading them. That's what it's talking about in the context of Psalm 75. So yeah, let's look at the bases and cornerstone verses. Um, This is one particular verse, Job 38 verse 4. I hope this is helping you. Look, if you're flat earth and you're thinking, I just want to take the Bible and go where it goes. Well, yeah, then let's do it. And here's another rule. Take the Bible and don't go where it doesn't go. (laughs) It's like a good rule for you. Don't pretend it goes where it's not going. Um, Here we go. Where were you when I got... Now, context. Most of you know this, so forgive me. But Job 38, this is the end of the book of Job. Uh, Job and his friends have been complaining about each other the whole time. Job, in, in many places, complaining about God. And God comes and speaks to Job in Job 38. And he has a long speech where in poem, and it's all in poem, he just asks Job all these questions and he basically puts Job in his place. It's like when he's like, who do you think you are? Well, here in verse four, Job 38, four, he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk and who laid its cornerstone? So here we have foundation of the earth and we have cornerstone, these two concepts. And then some people would take this to mean, well, there's a literal foundation and there's a literal cornerstone and that a globe earth doesn't explain those things. Now, my answer is just that all you have to do is continue reading. All you have to do is continue reading. 
And here we go, reading this whole thing, verse 7 and 8. It says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb? And when I made its cl- when, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for its and here's the best part verse ten and set bars and doors. If you <laughs> flat Earth, if you want to take poetry to be literal scientific descriptions of the world around us, then you need to believe not only that there's a cornerstone and foundations, but you have to believe that God. On the shores of all the continents that God has set bars and doors that block the sea from coming further than the, than their, uh, the coasts allow. Bars and doors. You want to take it literally, that's how you have to take it. Not only that, there's more. You have to say that God literally stretched a line upon the earth. This is a measurement term. Like when you grab measuring tape and you measure a whole surface area, like you're measuring out, like you're building a project, doing a building project. And that's the whole concept. It's just a poem about like making the earth like it's a building project, right? But what you have to say is that when God was making the earth, he measured it with an incredibly long measuring line because you're going to take verse 5 literally, just like you take verse 6 literally, just like you took verse 4 literally. In which case, you got to take verse 7 literally. Bars and doors. What's wrong? It's just really bad Bible study techniques. You just, you don't do this with scripture. You let it say what it says and you don't push beyond. You don't, most of the time when people are going to the Bible to look for cosmology, they're not finding cosmology. They're finding verses that are talking about other things and they're saying that's cosmology. And that's a problem. Um, That's a problem. We have to be humble about these things. Read it in context and try not to go beyond the text of scripture, what it's actually saying. All right. Yeah. So Job 38, just God saying, hey, I built the earth. I made the earth. I made it all. And he's using an, a poem that's an analogy as though it was like a construction project um, of someone making a building. He calls coasts bars and doors just because they block the sea from going up further. Let's look at the circle of the earth. All right. But first for, for my, uh, my vocal um, people in the live chat who are always asking for more CAD cam. How you doing, Pox? There she is. I can't really reach her. I kind of put the chair far away. I can just wave at her. All right. Well, we're going to get going now. Back to the topic. Here we go. Circle of the earth. That's what we're going to talk about. These circle of the earth verses. Um, And we'll start with Proverbs 8.27. I hope you guys are having a good time. I hope you appreciate this. This, I know this has been a long time coming for me to do this topic. I, I was going to do it a long, long time ago. And I kept... Just setting it aside and putting it off. Um, uh, but here you go. I hope, I hope it was worth the wait. <laughs> Proverbs 8.27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. This is... Um, a, you already know my answer, right? This is a poetic passage. It's in the book of Proverbs. It's literally wisdom talking as if she was a real person who was there when God was, was, was making the worlds. Um, and there's things like here, like he marked out the foundations of the earth. Wait, God marked them out. Like when you walk around with like sort of the people go, who go before you do the construction and they mark out all the locations, everything's going to be at God marked them out first. Why did he do that? It's no, he's spoken into existence. Um, in the, in the Genesis account here, it's just, it's just using a different term to talk about how God 
made it all and he made it well and made it thoughtfully. But let me take you to another verse, Isaiah 40, verse 22. This is a controversial verse. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretched out the heavens like a curtain and spread them, spreads them like a tent to dwell in. God, he's sovereign is the point here. Um, now this word right here is the center of a massive back and forth debate, in my opinion, massive, um, on the question of whether or not this is talking about a flat earth or if it's talking about a globe earth, because circle could, could it be a sphere? Could it be, you know, the Hebrews didn't really have a good word for, for something that was a sphere, like a globe. They didn't really have a word for that. Um, yet they could have used a different word where they, they, they would use it to talk about like a ball or a, although it wouldn't be like a basketball you're thinking of. Um, but it would be like, say like throwing a rock or something like that. They could use a different word and it starts to get into a big debate. Let me just say this. The word to me seems indeterminate, okay? I, I think the word's indeterminate, but I think that it's not about that anyways. I don't think it's trying to tell you the, the topography of the planet. When it says that he sits above the circle of the earth, it's just saying like when you look around, around the horizon, as far as your eyes can see, God is sovereign over that. That's it. I I don't really, you know, I used to think maybe Isaiah 40, 22 was talking about like a, it was good good evidence for a globe, you know, in the text of scripture, I'm not sure that I would say that. I don't know. I, I guess I would need more, uh, more concrete, you know, um, ancient, ancient biblical languages evidence to say that kind of thing. From what I can tell, it just seems indeterminate. And it just seems like it's not even talking about the shape of the planet. It's talking about the horizon. God sits above the horizon. Everything you can see, he's sovereign over it. That's the whole point here. That's the whole point here. Now, if you think, um, no, this word means flat disc, Mike. Isaiah forty twenty two absolutely means flat disc. Well, the, the same word is used in Job twenty two fourteen, and I'm going to push back on you and say you can't take it that way, right? This is the exact same word. Um, <clears throat> Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. That's the same word actually in the Hebrew. It's the same word as Isaiah forty twenty two. So the earth is has a is a circle, and you're going to take that to mean it's flat and it has these edges. But if you do that with this word and you say it's demanded by the word, well, Job 22, 14 says God walks on the vault of the heaven, but every flat earth person I've ever seen, they think that the heaven is a dome, a solid dome. So they think heaven can be at least a half of a globe and that can use the same word as Isaiah 40, 22, but when it's talking about the earth, it has to mean flat. This means, guess what? You're not really doing Bible study. You're pushing your teachings onto the text of scripture at that point. And you need to just stop and realize it's not even trying to give you the, all the details you might be looking for. Um, let's talk about the corners of the earth. Corners of the earth. Revelation 7.1. This is a whole other section. Bunch of verses on the corners of the earth. Here it says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. They're standing at the four corners. Holding back the four winds that no wind might blow on the earth or sea against uh, or sea or against any tree. Notice again that even in Revelation, the word earth is not being used to represent the planet. Why would they have to say earth or sea, right? The, the word doesn't mean planet when you see it. You can't assume that it means planet or it means the whole entirety of a flat earth model. Um, no, it just means the ground, right? It means the dry ground that people live on. So no men, <clears throat> no wind's blowing on it or the sea. Um, then I saw... Um, 
Oh, excuse me. That, that's the whole verse I wanted to quote there. So here we have four angels saying the four corners of the earth. Now on the, on the flat earth model, this gets a little fishy because on some of the flat earth models, you've got a, um, a flat earth that, um, that doesn't have any corners, but on, on others, they read these verses and they say, oh no, no, we need to, we need to bring corners into our, into our, uh, flat earth design and so let me just bring up a a picture here i didn't put it in my presentation but i can real quick this is you know one other flat earth model okay so here we have like a circular earth and it's sort of complicated it kind of comes down and it goes up and i don't know how it goes up so much with water like wouldn't anyway doesn't water isn't water flat isn't that like an important thing in the flat earth view um anyway um, then it's got these four earths, uh, four corners and the angels around the corners. Um, so somehow the world is circular and it has corners. And you start to see the problem with trying to say that that I'm going to take all these descriptions as literal. Even the Bible's like, it's circular, it's got corners. Because it's not trying to give you a physical description. What are the four corners? Well, the King James has it nice. It's four quadrants of the earth. It's just four areas. Let me give you a couple other verses that talk about the same thing. And I will support my claims. Job 37, verse 3. It says, Under the whole heaven, he lets, he lets it go, and his lightnings to the corners of the earth. Okay, so this is another corners of the earth passage. His lightnings are going to the corners of the earth. Here's a verse. You could have a flat earth model, and it would work with that, earth, that flat earth model. Revelation 7.1, it could work with that flat earth model. It doesn't clearly teach it, but it could work with it. But you can't keep doing that because when you hit Isaiah 11, your whole model explodes. Isaiah 11:12 says, He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah. Where is God going to gather the Israelites and uh, his people from? From the four corners of the earth. Wait, let's look at that photo again, that picture again. So wait, you're telling me where these angels are. There's Israelites living there? They've passed through the ice wall. They got carried from Babylon away to the ice wall somehow, right? They made it all the way there. And there's angels there apparently and all this stuff, right? And that's where wind comes from because we're going to take that as literally as possible. There's, it can't just be saying that, you know, we have winds that blow north, south, east, and west. It's It's got to be taken this way. Um, wow. That's not, yeah. I don't even know what to say, okay? Isaiah eleven twelve shows us that Israel has been at the four corners of the earth and God will bring them back. Flat earth, you make no sense. It's about quadrants. Jesus talks about this too, Matthew 24, verse 31. It says, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now here are the four winds. It's just from four directions, right? From one end of heaven to the other. It means all over the place. It's not like we're like there's two ends of heaven because in fact, heaven's got pillars. Oh wait, no, no, no. It's 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 circular. No wait, no. Now it has to have ends. Two of them, only two ends. So how does how does heaven shape with only two ends? It's not giving you a description of the cosmology of the world. Jesus is just saying, hey, it's going to gather them from all over the place. That's all, that's all he's saying. All right. Let's talk about the next one. Believe it or not, there's a couple more. Foundations of the earth. The, the, this phrase, foundations of the earth. Um, Micah chapter 6, verse 2. It says, Hear you mountains the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. So, 
foundations of the earth. Uh, it's definitely in the text of scripture. I, I hope you're getting the idea so far that the Bible doesn't seem to be trying to give us cosmology through these types of phrases. But let's let's just gather a couple verses where this sort of thing is talked about. Okay, Isaiah 51 verse 16. It says, and I've put my words in your mouth and have covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. Okay. Laying the foundations of the earth. So there's foundations of the earth, at least in these very prophetic and even poetic sections, like the one we're about to look at. Um, Job 38. Let's look at Job 38 again. <clears throat> and let me just say this. Um, let's say that I, let's say that foundations of the earth are quite literal. There's these actual foundations. The earth is talking about the surface land and there's these foundations under it. Why aren't the foundations just more earth under earth on a globe? Is there any reason why that can't be the explanation? No, this would fit. It doesn't, I'm not saying it teaches a globe model. I'm saying it would fit a globe model just as easily as, as, it, as it would fit any model that includes any kind of foundation. You don't have to have these pillars and there's foundation. The pillars are obviously not meant to be taken literally. The foundation, if it's literal, can be explained with a globe or a flat earth equally. I don't see the problem there. Um, but then again, here we are, that same passage. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? God includes the foundation of the earth amongst things that are obviously meant to be symbolic, right? It's bases, right? Literally stretching a line upon the earth, um, a cornerstone, and then <laughs> my favorite, um, actual bars and doors, where, if I can find it, actual bars and doors, bars, like I can't find it there. Oh, there it is. Bars. God's saying that the ocean has bars holding back the water. Wait, bars don't hold back water. Yeah. Cause it's not meant to be literal. It's not meant to be that way. I hope you see it in context. All right. Let's, let's just say what God's saying is he just set the earth on its foundations. In other words, it's secure. The earth is secure. He made it solid. You can stand on it. It's secure. That's the idea. I mean, I don't know if you take that for granted, but I'm kind of happy that God made the earth secure. It's kind of an important issue and he gets credit for it. And that's what the Bible is doing is giving God credit for the things you take granted. Take for granted. All this Hebrew and Greeks making my English fail. All right. Let's look at the next one, which is water under the earth. This is the last one. No, 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 it's not. Oh gosh, man, how many of these things do I have? Okay, water under the earth, not that much more. Uh, Psalm 136, verse six, it says, to him who spread out the earth above the waters and for his steadfast love endures forever. Some would take this to say, hey, um, even, even some scholars, right? This is obviously talking about not the oceans, but this other secondary water supply that's deep, deep, deep beneath the earth because the earth has like earth and then there's like, um, foundations or pillars maybe and there's water down there somewhere and there's another foundation down below that and it starts to get into this weird thing well what is this actually talking about um, let's look at another verse and I think it will help us make it more clear Exodus 24 God says you sh this is just a hint I'm, I'm walking you to it I have a really good verse that really helps but that's next let me walk you there patiently um, it says, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. There's the water under the earth, right? The context here is the Ten Commandments. And God's like, look, don't make any idols. And he says, don't make idols of things in heaven, of things on earth, or of things under the earth. The water under the earth in particular. Things from the water under the earth. This is clearly talking about stuff in the ocean. 
the the water under the earth is just the oceans. That's what it's talking about. Or else the important command against making graven images, it doesn't include fish or, and they did have fish gods, right? Dagon, he's a fish god. And he's telling them, don't make idols. Of course, he's going to make sure to say under the water under the earth if he's talking about the ocean. But they wouldn't have any concept of what might be in some sort of like primordial waters and some sort of, anyway, it's just, it's just weird, man. Like, let's just let the Bible be the Bible, but let's not try to force it into, um, some people just want it to be weird. Anyway, we need to um, uh, look at one more verse for this water under the earth thing. Uh, Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he's founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The terminology of the water under the earth is weird to us because we don't think of the earth as being the ground that is dry and above sea level. But again, that is how they're conceiving of the word earth. It's not that they don't think there's more dirt below that. They're just talking about the habitable dry stuff on the top above sea level. So the earth is above or upon the waters. It is over the waters. This is, it's clear in the text here. Why? Because of this rivers verse, right? Established it upon the rivers. Wait, the earth isn't upon the rivers, but when you're walking around and you walk next to a river that river is flowing but you're safe because there's earth upon or above the river this is not talking about secret deep underground rivers that like god established the earth on no no he it's just saying you know back to genesis right the, there's there's it's all water god has the dry land separate from the water and then the flood he has the dry land again separating from the water and then he maintains it that way and he's constantly getting credit for it throughout the text of scripture it's the waters under the earth is the ocean and the rivers and anything that when you're walking on land, you're not, you're not underwater. That's earth above water. That's all it means. So I, I hope that helps, man. I hope that helps you guys. Um, I'm going to share a clip though. Here's another clip from Dean Odell's video. And I thought it was um, a good illustration of bad Bible study techniques. Um, I'm sorry, Dean Odell. I'm not trying to insult you, brother. I don't, have an ax to grind against you, but your video is propagating misinformation and it's hurting people. And there's just so many people caught up in this thing and they need to know, um, the Bible's not pushing you down this road of flat earth. Something else is. Here you go. So I'm reading this passage, right? Um, Cause I'm going to talk about the marriage supper and that's all in revelation 19. And I'm just reading the chapters before and after. And I read this and, and the Holy spirit got my attention because it was like, they went up on the breadth of the earth. And the question came in my head, why doesn't it say, they just, why doesn't it just say they went up on the earth? So I looked up the word breadth, and this was one amazing revelation because this is confirmation of Job 38, 14. The word in the Greek, when it was originally written, is in the Strong's Dictionary. It's number 4114 Greek, and it is the word platos, P-L-A-T-O-S, platos. Well, immediately when I saw that, I thought, wow. That sounds like our word or a root word of our word plateau, which I know means level, flat land, mm. elevated land, but level and flat. So I, when I look this up, plateaus in the Strong's Greek dictionary is defined that as width and breadth. But then it says that it's from the root word, 4116, plateaus. And here is the exact, I'm reading it, I'm looking at the Strong's dictionary right here. It says plateaus. 
spread out flat. I was blown away when I saw this. He was blown away when he saw it. Um, okay, here's the thing. <clears throat> First off, let me just say this before I explain the, this this passage. Um, you might be thinking, Mike, there's all these things you're ignoring. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. Look, I don't care. I don't care. That's not the question of this stream. The question of this stream is, does the Bible declare and teach that the earth is flat? And I'm going to your verses, your chief verses, and I'm not done yet. I'm going to hit Daniel and I'm going to hit uh, uh, the vision that Jesus had that or the experience with the temptation that Jesus had. We're going to hit that in a second. But I'm going to your verses to show you that the Bible is not your source for the flat earth. You're getting it somewhere else. You could say, well, ancient Near Eastern people, they believed it. Fine. But don't say the Bible's teaching it. Say they believed it. You could say, um, all, there's all these all this evidence. I have all this proof. I did these experiments. Fine. Go ahead. But don't say the Bible's teaching it. Leave the Bible out of this. That's what I'm saying, man. Leave my Bible alone. <laughs> Please. Okay. Uh, let's, let's look at this passage. Um, this revelation is here talking about... Um, I'm going to actually mention this in passing. Before we get to the whole idea of the plateaus and platas and plateaus and plateaus, we're going to look at the four corners of the earth, right? Um, Satan's release. This is more confirmation that corners of the earth doesn't mean literal corners. Um, he'll deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for, uh, together for battle. This is the idea where Satan comes out and deceives the whole world, effectively, the whole world. And he gathers a whole bunch of people to rally against God and against Christ. This is like Psalm 2 finally totally fulfilled. And here we have them from, their, where are the nations? They're at the corners of the earth, which means they're in the four general directions. They're all over the earth. That's all it's saying. Unless you think massive nations are living where those angels are standing in your in your flat earth map on the corners of the earth like there's huge nations there and satan's going to bring them on in where have these people been this whole time like why can't we reach them with the radio signals i'm, I'm never mind i'm sure there's an explanation that i just I'm, I'm not smart enough to think of um but let's move on i want to talk about the greek the way this greek is used first he says the greek comes from the word plateau okay comes from the word plateau that's a plateau Okay, if you're going to say it comes from the word plateau, all you're saying is that the, the 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 book of Revelation says Satan gathered together the armies and they marched up on a on a plateau. It has nothing to do with the shape of the cosmology of the entire earth. Nothing to do with it. Now let's talk about plateaus. He says that um, platos. I I'm going to pronounce it the way I was taught Greek. Platos. Its root word is plateaus, and he takes you to what he calls the Strong's version of Plateaus, which means to spread out flat. This is Strong's. I'm, I'm showing you Strong's on the screen. Plateaus. It's, a, it's translated as wide once, and it gives you one definition for the word broad. It doesn't mean to flatten out. It's not a verb. It doesn't mean that. I don't know where this guy's getting his Greek stuff from, but it's like, I, I don't think he's doing it on purpose. I think he's so excited about what he's what he's learning that he recklessly grabs stuff and just starts using it to try to prove his case. Look up Strong's. I put a link in the description so you can check his statement about Plateaus on, on your own. There's a link to Strong's um, available for free online. You can check on your own. That's just not what it means. It's just not what it means, my friend. What we're really getting, though, the real issue, the real issue why you can't use Revelation. Let me show you again. Why you cannot use Revelation is because Earth does not mean planet. Right? Earth does not always mean planet. 
They gather together, verse 9, they march up over the broad plain of the earth. This, he's taking this phrase, broad plain of the earth, as though it means, I'm describing to you the physical design of the entire, whether it's a planet or a flat earth, um, aquarium dome. I don't know what the term is um, for this. I forget. I know there's a term. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with you. That's not a description of the entire, from coast to coast and from edge to edge of the earth. It's just saying they marched up on a broad plane that was on the earth. That's it. That's all it's saying. You know what this is? This is probably the Valley of Megiddo. That's, that's a valley that has been used frequently by large armies in Israel or going towards Israel over the, over the generations. Right now, it's just got a bunch of farmland. It's actually really beautiful if you ever go to Israel. Just looking out at the Valley of Megiddo is really pretty. You can look at it from Mount Carmel. You can look down onto the Valley of Megiddo. But it's just a very wide area. When you have large armies, they need very wide areas to march. And that's all Revelation is saying is, look, it's a big army. Because they have to uh, march up on a broad plane of the earth. That's it. That's all it's saying. There's nothing more to it. Um, let's look at what's considered the best, the best flat earth verses altogether. Uh, in an article quoted by lots of flat earthers, um, <clears throat> this is considered the best verses. And so we're going to look at them now. Are you ready? You already know, I mentioned earlier, it's Daniel, Daniel's vision in Daniel four. Uh, I say Daniel as in the book of Daniel's vision. It's actually not Daniel having the vision. It's Nebuchadnezzar. But here it says the tree grew up and became strong. And it describes a tree, but look at how it describes the tree. Its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Um, and it goes on talking about this, uh, this tree. It was visible all the way to the end of the whole earth. And then we have another verse to support this idea in verse 20. It says the tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Well, we've got two issues here. End of the whole earth doesn't mean edges of the earth. I've shown that conclusively. If you want to argue against me, you're delusional. Like you're literally just, you're just stuck and you can't change your mind regardless of the evidence. End of the earth doesn't mean in edges, edges of the, the domed flat earth. But there's another problem. It's a dream. Right? Look at how this is introduced. Go back to verse 10, same chapter. I just went one verse up from the verse we read earlier. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. Dude had a dream. He didn't have a revelation of co the cosmology of a, of a solid dome and flat planet. He just didn't have it. This is not a flat earth verse. You can't use it to support that. It's a dream. That's all it is. So it was visible to the ends of the earth. It just means it was visible far away. That's all it means. And it was a dream. So it has just no bearing at all. The other verse, and this is supposed to be the best verses. To a guy who just studies the Bible and teaches it all the time, it's like I read this and I'm like, wait, why are people, why are people believing this? Are they, are they paying this little attention to scripture? And they think they're being faithful and loyal to the word of God, but they are not even checking the context. They're just so excited and they're so used to taking verses out of context that they don't realize they're doing it um, all over the place. Here we go. Last one. And then we're going to your guys' questions. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, this is Satan and Jesus. And Satan says, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan. And uh, I like when he says that. Uh, can't wait for him to say it again. 
Um, so the devil takes him up to a very high mountain. So he's up on a high mountain, right? And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So this is a description of Jesus looking out based on flat earth views, right? Looking out and he sees every, every kingdom or every nation that's on the planet at the time or on the, on the flat earth at the time. And he sees them all from that mountain there where in Israel, in Israel. Now there's a few problems with this. Let me walk through, walk you through them individually. Um, first off, Jesus's temptation was 40 days, right? 40 days. Um, now, if you're going to say he, he, he was taken up, so he walked somewhere. He walked there. He's not, he doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a teleporter he's using. There's no reason to think he is. And if you're going to say teleporter, then I'm going to say vision, okay? So don't say he teleported to some super high mountain we've never heard of. He's in Israel. Go look it up on your own. What are the highest mountains in Israel? The highest one is Mount Hermon. That is all the way up in the north of Israel, way too far for Jesus to go during this 40-day temptation because Jesus is currently south of Jerusalem in the wilderness where John was doing his baptizing. How do I know that? Because I read the Bible in context. Jesus is there. He's south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is, is in southern Israel. It's like, it's like not even halfway up Israel to the north. And Israel's shaped kind of like California, right? So the very top of Israel is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon actually... Uh, a, a large portion of it, the majority of it is outside of Israel. That's how, that's how far up north it is. All right, let's continue. He can't walk very far. The highest mountain is way too far away. What are the highest mountains in his area? Well, we're, we're talking about Jerusalem. It's 2,474 feet. It's on a mountain. Yeah. Mount Scopus near Jerusalem, 2,710 feet. That is not very high. Look, I live in California. We the, we're the land of high mountains. We've got some of the highest mountains around. 2,000 feet is not high, like not by our standards. Um, so most likely he couldn't have gotten to a, a mountain that was over 3,000 feet, or if it was maybe 3,300 feet at the most, if he like hoofed it and got to one of the local mountains that was with, within any kind of walking distance with his 40-day temptation uh, to be able to get there and back. And at one point he's in Jerusalem, so he, he can't go too far. Um, yeah, guess what? You know, you may say ancient people had never climbed up like Mount Everest or something. Yeah, but this isn't Mount Everest. There is no Mount Everest in Israel. There's nothing even remotely what we would consider to be a really, really big mountain or high mountain, I should say. So that means that the Israelites had already been on all these mountains and they had already seen. And the people at the time, they already knew you can't see the whole, all the kingdoms of the world from any location. They had already been on these locations. So the, already the, the first century reader isn't thinking that Jesus went up to this like crazy, like they know the area. They're from Israel. They're from Jerusalem. The, uh, they know the topography of the land. All right. Let me give you what I think really is going on in this passage. G, uh, Jesus is taken up to a high mountain. He showed all the kingdoms of the world. For one thing, it's Satan and Jesus. How can Satan show him the kingdoms of the world? Well, through some supernatural means. I mean, how, how can he show him? I mean... It's, we know he can't see it physically. They know he couldn't see it physically. Even if the earth is supposedly flat, you can't just look out and see China from the U.S., right? Like, I mean, I'm sure you've tried. Some of you guys, you've gone up on a mountain, you've tried it. You can't. So how is he seeing these things? There's some kind of supernatural thing going on. Oh, but no, 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 Mike. It's clearly saying the earth is flat. Okay, well, let me bring up another. I'll, you, know, you bring up Luke 4. I raise you, John. I raise you the gospel of John. Where Nathaniel becomes a disciple of Jesus because Jesus saw him sitting underneath, I believe it was a fig tree. I think it was a fig tree. Anyway, Nathaniel's sitting under this tree and Jesus somehow sees him. Nathaniel comes to Jesus and, and he says, um, behold, an Israelite in whom, in whom is no guile. And Nathaniel's like, 
how do you know me? You don't know me. And he says, truly, I say to you, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. Now, if you're a flat earther, Nathaniel should have told Jesus, duh, of course you did, because the earth is flat. Because you can see any distance as long as you're high enough. Why does this surprise Nathaniel? Because even back then they know you can only see so far. End of story, you can only see so far, no matter what shape the earth is in. So he says, you, you're really him. And he's like bowing to Jesus and he's trusting in Christ. He believes he's the Messiah of Israel. Why? Because he had a supernatural ability to see Nathaniel from a distance. So how is it that Jesus sees these kingdoms? Well, verses in context and through understanding who Christ is and who Satan is, it's not a surprise. And the last question before we go to your guys' issues is this. Then why on earth did Satan take him up to a very high mountain? And yes, to them, a very high mountain is not what we would generally think of as a high mountain. Um, It's just culture differences. Why would he take him up to a high mountain? I think the issue here is theological. It's not topographical. (laughs) It's theological. What's the theology of it? Throughout, and uh, Inspiring Philosophy has a video where he talks about this too, and he does a good job with it. Um, It it talks, the Bible in the Old Testament talks about how there's these revivals in Israel, but there was this one persistent sin that happened over and over again, over and over again. And it was the high places. The kings of Israel, they would even have revivals like Hezekiah or Josiah. And they'd have these great revivals and the people of God, you know, really coming back to, to, to Yahweh. But it would almost all the time it would say, but they didn't remove the high places. That was the big sin. They didn't remove the high places. What were the high places? Well, up on these mountaintops, low mountaintops around Israel, they would have altars to false gods. And they would sacrifice to these false gods all the time. These were the high places. Jesus in the wilderness, he has taken up to what very possibly is one of the locations of these false God worship things that would go on all the time. And Satan tempts him to worship ultimately Satan because the worship of false gods is, is the worship of demons and Satan ultimately. And he says, no, what we have in the wilderness temptations is Jesus. He succeeds where Israel failed. They failed in the wilderness, right? They failed when they wanted food and, um, didn't want to wait on God for that. They failed when, uh, when it was trusting him about entering the promised land. They failed when they were tempted to sin in the wilderness there when they built the, um, the golden calf and even after that when they did other sinful things. Jesus succeeds every time where they fail. That's the picture of the temptation of Christ, the theological meaning. Jesus, he's the sinless one where we have sinned and fallen short. That's what's going on. That's why he's on a high place, I believe. And we're going to go to your questions right now. Okay, so I, I hope that helps, man. I don't know how you... I don't know how you can, uh, if you're still flat earth, do me a favor, cross those verses off your list. At least the ones where you said, boy, Mike, you made a, you made a solid case. And I I think, I think you're right. I don't think I can use that for my flat earth views. At least cross those off your list. Um, William Dean says, can you explain how Matthew four, eight works on a sphere? You're welcome. I just did (laughs) Sarah Hilton. Um, I'm a substitute teacher at a public high school. For two years, I've allowed students to listen to their own choice of music in their own earbuds while they work. Recently, I realized some of them listen to sinful music. I'll con- if I continue to let them, will God hold me accountable for the sin the, mu- uh, for the, sin the music may lead them to? Um, I don't think so, Sarah. But I mean, some, there's, there's all sorts of challenging moral dilemmas we have in life. I don't see how you can choose what music they're allowed to listen to. I don't really know if I feel like that's like the appropriate thing to do. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the right answer there is, Sarah. I really don't know. That's a good question. Pray about it. Don't violate your conscience before the Lord, but don't be, um, 
But don't let your solution be as bad as the problem, if that makes sense. <laughs> I hope you get what I mean there. Um, Bacon Bear says, Mike, do you think we live on a globe? Yeah, I do. I do. Although this is this is not the question I'm asking tonight. I'm not asking what shape is the thing we live on. I'm asking what is the Bible teaching here? Uh, Zoko says, <clears throat> who should we direct our prayers to? Um, I think Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says to direct prayers to the Father in secret, but I grew up with everyone ending prayer with in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in Jesus' name is not required on the ending of your prayers. I like praying in Jesus' name. I mean, I pray in Jesus' name whether I say it's in Jesus' name or not because it's through him I have access to the Father. So I'm praying through through the name of Christ every time I pray because I'm, I'm in Christ and I'm redeemed by Christ and he is my mediator. So I'm always praying in Jesus' name whether I say the phrase or not. I like saying in Jesus' name, just a preference. I think, it, I think it's nice. Um, but no, people don't need to and I don't worry if they don't. Let's see. As long as they're praying in Christ, whether they say the phrase or not is the, isn't, isn't the issue. Um, Jesus does talk about prayer to the Father. Prayer is generally directed to the Father in, this, in the scriptures. But there are times where Jesus has prayed to as well. Um, and I don't think there's a problem with praying to him or even addressing a prayer to the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's kind of like that strict rule. I do think there is a general, um, general practice of praying to the Father that we see in scripture that Maybe that should represent our prayer life. Generally pray to the Father, pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit if you feel so inclined on occasion. That would be, there's no command there, but it would just be kind of teleporting the examples into your your practice. Um, let's see. Um, Zena M says, question, Isaiah 40, 22 says, circle of the earth. It doesn't use the word for ball, but on Isaiah 22, 18, he uses the word for ball. Why didn't Isaiah use the word for ball or sphere when talking about the earth? Um, I think the answer would be, let, let's say that you're right. And that um, the word for ball that we do, we do see in Isaiah 22, 18, he says, I'm going to throw you like, like, a, like a ball. Is, he describes the nation, you're going to throw them like a ball. Um, some people say, well, that's because those balls wouldn't have been what you're thinking of, like a soccer ball. And their answer is, you know, like if you, if you, it'd be more like a hacky sack, you know, it wouldn't have a spherical design. And so if it used a more descriptive term, it would have been a lumpy, bumpy mass, like a, like a roundish rock, but it wouldn't have described the earth as a sphere properly. And that may be the reason, maybe it would be a bad impression. Or my current view is that Isaiah 42 just isn't trying to tell us the shape of the planet. It's just talking about the horizon and that God is sovereign above all of us. Everywhere you look around, that's the horizon. Everything you can see, God is sovereign above it all. That's the idea. I just don't think it's trying to give us cosmology. Um, that would be my, my current view. My current view. I used to think it was supporting a spherical earth, but I'm not sure that I can substantiate that now. Uh, Jaco Kruger or Jaco Kruger says, Joshua 10 verses 12 through 14. Did God stop the earth or the sun like we are told, if like we are told, the sun stood still, how can the earth come to a stop? Or not come to a stop. I'm, I'm having a hard time reading the... English is probably your second language. Um, yeah, not that God couldn't do it, but that's not what science tells us. Yeah, so for the Joshua passage, I, I've, I've really spent a lot of time on that in the past. And um, this is unrelated to the flat earth view. And flat earthers, you need to realize, like, you can't use a, ver a verse about geocentrism and say that it proves the earth is flat. Like, that's irrational. Like, it's literally irrational. That's like me trying to prove the Trinity by quoting a verse about omniscience, right? Or omnipotence. That doesn't prove the Trinity. I need verses that prove the Trinity, which I have in spades, but I, I need to prove it with verses that talk about that issue. So this is a geocentrism thing. 
Um, I think it's just describing the way it looked to the people. Now, did it did it um, just look that way to them or did it actually physically happen in the real world? In which case, how do we explain that? And I, I mean, all I can say is if it physically really happened, then it was just a miracle. Like it, it defied the laws of, of, of physics. It def, not defied, I should say, superseded them. God can supersede the laws of physics just like uh, if I let go of this, this will fall to the ground. But if I catch it, I'm not, I mean, I'm defi- I'm superseding seeding the law of gravity here with other things. So God could just make it happen and that would make it a bigger miracle than they ever realized it was. That's for sure in Joshua 10. Uh, but that would also imply that it was global, that everybody in the world was experiencing it, not just them. If it was just a visual thing, like he just visibly, he made it appear as though the sun stopped while for everybody else it it went on in, in a different fashion. Um, I don't, I don't lean that way, but if it was that, then I wouldn't expect the rest of the world to even be aware of it. Anyway, interesting question, Yako. I, I would uh, hmm, want to really think about it more. Uh, Nick L. Olson says, if the Bible did say the earth is flat, would you believe the earth is flat? Dude, Nick, that's a really good question. And I, I, I've, uh, I'm just to be really honest with you guys. I, uh, I was asking myself that and I thought, I don't know. Um, and is that, now, the thing is, it, it's, it's partially because I have this category in my head I know, and I know I'm stepping on a lot of toes when I say this. I'm going to give you my honest answers here. Um, I have this category in my head that the that I would I would consider it at least potentially acceptable in principle that God just met the people there with their bad understanding of the world in order to communicate theological truths to them. That He decided not to teach them about um, the real nature of the universe. He just decided to teach them theological truths and meet them there with what they understood. So when he's talking about the earth, he's just saying, look, I just want them to know I made it. I know what they think about it is wacky or weird. And in 2000 years, they're going to be thinking differently about it, but I'm just going to meet them where they're at. Um, And then, you know, and if God brought the word to us today and he talked about like quantum physics or something, well, in another 2000 years, we might find out that we were wrong about quantum physics and this could cause problems because different generations would be rejecting the Bible for different reasons. I mean, we today would be all excited that there's all this clarity in there about quantum physics and, um, and the, uh, the globe of the earth and the orbit of the sun and Saturn, and the moons and stuff like that. We could talk about that and be excited about it. But for thousands of years, it would actually dissuade people from trusting the Bible and it would backfire even though it was true. So I, I have a category where it's like, yeah, no, I could see how that's a potential possibility. Uh, but I don't like that view and I don't hold that view. Do you get that? That's important for you to know. Uh, I know I'm going to get reamed on this, but mostly from people who aren't going to hear me in context. I don't like that view and I don't hold that view, but I would consider that view much more seriously if I thought that the Bible was truly teaching a flatter earth because I don't think the earth is actually flat. Now, if the earth is actually flat, then I would want to have evidence to prove it, but this is unrelated to today's, to today's video. The evidence put forward by flat earthers, while it's very convincing and interesting to them, is very poor evidence in my opinion when you try to look at it on its own. I hope that helps, man, Nick. It's these are some of these struggles that we're here. We are humans trying to work through divine issues and, um, and God give us wisdom as we sort of muddle our way through some of it. Flora 20 says first Kings 20 verse 35, God seemingly told a prophet to hit another then seemingly lie about how he was injured to Ahab. Um, why is this? I'm so confused. Thanks for the help. Thanks for all your teaching. Um, I, uh, I'm, I, this is the this is the 
I'm trying to remember this passage. I'm going to pass on this question floor because I just can't remember the details of the passage. And I don't want to, I don't like taking stabs at answers that are, you know, where I'm just guessing at things. Um, so Darth Vegas says, question for Mike, how do flat earthers explain <clears throat> why the other planets in our solar system are round, but not the earth? I'm, I don't remember. I think I've heard them explain it one time, but I don't recall. Good question. Unrelated to today's topic or video directly, the content or the purpose of the video, but it's a good question. Um, it is strange to think that we have, you know, seemingly have a, a round, although some might say the moon is not round. They might say that it, it it's flat too, because it only has one point that faces at us. Maybe they have that view. Maybe they think, I don't know what they think. Honest Conversation says, have you ever heard of Michael Heiser? He says the creation account in Genesis teaches a flat earth with the dome sky. I'm not sure if he actually teaches that, to be honest, Honest Conversations. Um, there is a whole group of guys that think the Bible teaches a flat earth. And I think that their primary reason, I think the number one reason they think the Bible teaches a flat earth is that they think the people in biblical times believed in a flat earth. So they're sort of transporting the, um, the, their opinion of what people at the time thought onto the text of scripture. They thought this in Babylon, so it's going to be affirmed in scripture. They thought this in these other places. I know that I know there's more to it than that, but I do think that's one of the big reasons. And this is why it's, it's a newer move to believe that the Bible teaches a flat earth, at least in some scholarly communities, because they think, Hey, we've discovered new info about Babylon, new info about ancient Samaria and things like that. And they all believed a flat earth. So with a solid dome, therefore, so does the Bible teach that as well. I don't think so. I think that the Bible can even use some of the same words as those other cultures. But when you look at the verses in context, it doesn't seem to support that to me. The question of the solid dome, the rakia, I have a lot more homework I want to do on that one day. God willing, I'll do a video. Don't rush me. It may be a year away or more. I have no idea because I have lots of things uh, cooking right now. Um, Christian Bible study says if stars are placed. Uh, oh, oh, let me just add this. So I don't know how much of what Michael Heiser is saying is based upon verse by verse exegesis and how much of it is based upon um, transporting ancient Near Eastern, his opinion of ancient Near Eastern views onto scripture. I don't know how much that is. What's the mix? Um, let's see. Christian Bible study. If stars are placed in the expanse um, or firmament in Genesis 1, where is the water above it? Is the infinite, infinitely expanding universe pushing water away? Um, I think the, and I guess I'll do a video one day on this. I think the firmament is just talking about the sky. I don't think it's talking about a solid dome that has stars like stuck in it. But I think it's a flexible term that can be used to talk about this, the sky really nearby or the sky really far away. Just like the word heaven can be talk, talking about, like you throw a rock, it's technically in heaven. You go up to the clouds, that's heaven. You go up to the moon, that's heaven. You go up to God's actual throne or dwelling place or where his presence is manifest and where angels are worshiping him. That's also heaven. Same word, different uses. I think, I think firmament seems to be used in a flexible fashion. Yeah. So yeah, I think the water above the firmament are the clouds. And I, I think that a strong case can be made for that. And it makes the most sense. You're describing, you know, Genesis is explaining what people are looking at. They look around, they see, they see water in the sky that falls down. Those are clouds. They know the rain's coming from the clouds. They're not that stupid. And that puts the firmament in that Genesis account below the clouds. And birds seem to fly in it as well. So, yeah. Let's see. Number 11 from LU Graduate 100. Why are people still teaching a flat earth since the Bible teaches the earth isn't flat? Uh... People teach all sorts of things the Bible doesn't teach. <laughs> and, you know, 
people teach stuff that the Bible teaches things it doesn't teach and it's never going to stop. Um, the question for us is, am I being roped into unbiblical views or am I being biblical? And we each have to ask that. Chow Yun Cat, that's a great name. Chow Yun Cat says, how could we be orbiting the sun if it wasn't around until day four? Um, even a even if you take a, a, a strict like seven day creation view of Genesis, we could we could easily be orbiting the sun if it wasn't around until day four. We just we just weren't orbiting it until day four. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a miraculous moment by moment creation event. So I don't think that that's a challenge to that view personally. Um, Dos Santos in Thailand says, "Thank you for your ministry, Mike. You're welcome. Uh, my my privilege and honor." I thought I heard a while ago that you would be doing a video on the physics of heaven. Oh, is that still in the works? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. I, I set it aside. I start all these projects. I do intend to, to get to the physics of heaven. Um, that is a very problematic book. I don't recommend anybody read it or learn from it. And I'm concerned because it's been endorsed by um, some prominent leaders in, uh, in uh, Bethel in particular. Um, Talia Kuzmin says, Mike, I think the flat earth view of how sun and moon move is not just a circle, but more like a spiral. It goes in a circle daily, but spirals out and in through a year. Yeah. And I've seen one graph. I couldn't find it or I would have put it on the screen for you guys. I've seen one graph that kind of like had a more complicated movement of the sun and the moon, but the sun and the moon still did not, uh, start for instance, in Psalm 19, like from, if they want to take the edge of the earth, literal from the, um, from the edge, the ice wall of the earth, and then travel over to another ice wall and then come back and start over again. It, it doesn't do that. If you want to take that wooden literal view, I don't see any flat earth models doing that. So they're not, that's not a biblical flat earth model. In other words, whatever they want to say about it. Unplugged says, Mike, um, Genesis one says light was created on day two plants, trees, and animals day three, but sun, moon, and stars day four. Yeah. This is a different question about the order of the order of creation and how we interpret Genesis. And I personally am on the fence on some of these questions. So I don't, I don't, I'm, and I know for some of you, this question is really burning on your heart. I'm sorry that I can't be a better resource for you on this, but I can't answer questions. I don't know the answers to. Um, and so continue to seek answers, be patient with it. Don't freak out about this. Don't let your whole faith rest upon rest upon you coming to what is in all honesty, a very uh, complicated and challenging and wide area of research. Um, I say, take your time, be patient, trust the Lord as you walk through it. And if one day I get clarity, I will share it with you guys. Jordan Filler says, thanks for putting out biblically sound content. There is strong evidence for the age of the earth. What does the Bible have to say about the age of the earth? And does it agree or clash with science? Same question there. I am persuaded that it is, I, I will say this, Although I can't answer all the questions about interpreting Genesis and the creation accounts in the scripture, I am convinced that the age of the earth is not really a problem there. Um, that there's, there's like a huge variety of huge range of possibility for the age of the earth on a biblical view. I know a lot of people don't agree with me there, but that is my conclusion so far. That's one conclusion I've come to. Steve Sampson says, oh, hey, uh, I'm here when it's live. <laughs> no question. Just a big thank you to Mike. That's great, Steve. I'm glad you could join. I'm glad all you guys could join. It's fantastic to have you do this, to have you be here with me while I do this. Um, I pray this video goes out to a lot of people, helps a lot of people. I think some people are, their love for the word of God is being used as a tool to get them to suck, be sucked into this flat earth thing. And let me just say, we need to separate the Bible from the flat earth movement. These two things are not related. You want to be flat earth? Fine. Go ahead. You can still be flat earth all day long. Just stop saying the Bible justifies your cause. Dwayne Green says, um, 
How can Christians on either side of the argument work together or do we need to distance ourselves from flat earthers? On the other hand, I think if I have any flat earthers in my life, I want to come near them. I want to be around them. I want to talk to them and I want to help them if possible. Um, but you have to isolate the conversation. Even now, I did this video. I, I isolated the talk on the, on the specific passages of scripture in context. That's, the, that's what I would try to do for what it's worth. I would not try to talk to them about their experiments and talk to them about NASA and talk to them about conspiracies and airplane flights and blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't get into any of that. I would stick to scripture and tell them, you can still be a flat earther. I'm not even going to tell you it's not true. I just want to tell you you're not getting it from the Bible. That's the whole point. I think that's a, a smart way to go about it. Um, AU 75 2010 says, where can I get a Bible thinker coffee mug? Like the one in the background, like this one right here. Well, you can go to, um, actually one of my mods will put it in the, a link in the, in the live chat right now. I'll put a link in the description afterwards. I haven't put them in recently, but you can't order these. They take a while to get to you. Be warned, but you can order them from, uh, Brent Zockel. Uh, he has his, <clears throat> he has his own website. It basically a guy who loves this ministry makes these mugs by by himself like small batches and then he'll ship them out occasionally to people who want them so i'll put a link down below and you guys can get that um if you like hmm. mike winger read genesis one right at the beginning i have done that uk diamond i have done that many many times and i will do it many more times as well arlen aspinall says how can you figure job is a poetic book some of it seems quite literal like when job uh like when he tells job to behold as though look at i do not support flat earth but there's some good creation text. Actually, Job is such a poetical book. You're going to wonder this, Arlen. You need to know this. Job is such a poetical book that in the groups of books in the Old Testament, it's grouped in the poetry books, right? Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. It's literally, the book is poetry. The book is poetry. We don't see it as much because we read it in, in English, not in the original Hebrew. You're going to see it stronger in the original Hebrew, but it's, it's literally, pick up any commentary on Job. Anyone, just pick a random one. I guarantee you it's going to say, this is a poetic book. It absolutely is. That doesn't mean every phrase in the book is poetic, but uh, uh, the majority of it is. Um, let's see. Ment mentally, mentally all says, um, in Genesis 1.16, it seems to imply the moon is not just a rock and that the stars and the sun are not the same things. Thoughts? Let me look at Genesis 1.16. Oh, I should mention this. This is kind of kind of related. I didn't cover the star star passages. People talk about the stars falling from the heavens. Back then, back then, they don't. We think of stars, and we're thinking of these like sun-like objects out in space, or just bright spots in the sky. They looked at stars as anything other than the sun that was up in the sky. If a meteor came down, it was a star that fell. We still do this, right? Look, I saw a shooting star. Nobody thinks that it's like this, like, you know, millions of miles wide, like, you know, earth destroying object crashing into the atmosphere to destroy and kill everyone on the planet. Like nobody thinks that because we understand and we still have some leftovers of the idea that star just means like something in the sky. So when the stars fall, this is talking about like a meteor shower. All right. Or, or, or angelic beings in some passages. But uh, Job one sixteen says and god made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars <clears throat> yeah i mean if, if nothing else it speaks of our our perception of them right we have our the sun is for for earth right it's to rule the day and night on earth so the sun is the the great light for the day and the moon is the great light for the night i don't really think it's giving us too much more than that beyond that um i will say genesis though we do have good reason to think that um, 
that uh, Genesis was different than other creation accounts and other other cultures of the time because it didn't deify any of these created things. Uh, the sun, the stars, the moon, the earth itself, all these things are just things God made. They're not actually deities. They're not made from the dead carcasses of deities like the islands of Japan and Japanese lore. They're not, they're not made through some battle, right? God just makes them and then they're just things that exist. So it's, it's actually more of a modern view of the universe that we get as opposed to the ancient view that the people around them had, which is more evidence that the Bible will will teach things that differ from the culture around it. And even if they did believe in the flat earth, it doesn't mean the Bible teaches that, even if it uses the same language that they used, because that's literally the language they used. I mean, these are the words they have. Um, all right, I'm about done for tonight, but I'll, I'll do a couple more real quick. Um, Hey, Mike, heaven is up and Sheol is below. What's up on a ball earth? Well, up is from our perspective. We're humans. So if you're living in China, down is down to you. You're living in California like me. Down is down to me. Um, it's it's perspectival. It's about your perspective. This is what we mean when we say um, that the sun goes up. It's perspectival or phenomenological. It's like what it looks like to you. That would be the idea. Um, so yeah. And Sheol being down, I don't know if that's if Sheol is literally down or if it, God's using the picture of it being down because when people uh, die, they get buried in the ground. And so we associate burying and going down into the ground with death. And so he's using this to describe physical death. Um, that may simply be the case. All right, last question. Myra Jackson Rain says, why does Pastor Mike believe we are being hurt by accepting a flat earth biblical cosmology? Because um, I think it's not biblical. So... You're accepting something as biblical that's not biblical, which means you're accepting a false teaching, a false teaching, thinking it's biblical. That is always hurtful. That is always hurtful. If you have a view of Jesus that's not biblical, that's hurtful. If you have a view of cosmology that's not biblical, in this case, I'm saying the Bible does not support it. The Bible doesn't teach it. You don't get it from the text of scripture. You're getting it from other places. And that is a hurtful thing.